If you have a financial question for Pega Bruce, you can call this number 24-7-1-888-6 Advice. You can also email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. And right now you can call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning to you both. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Peg Webb. Hello, Denny Long. Thank you for the nice uh, introduction and always good to be with you, old friend. Hey, Peg, um, we thought today we would talk about something that is not a new topic. Frequent listeners to the program have heard us talk about this before. But two things. Number one, I find just in my day-to-day life or my ongoing meeting with clients or, or prospective clients, new people, that we can't talk about this topic too often because I still get questioned about it a lot and I still get people that want to take action that might not be in their best interest. I know that sounds very uh, uh, mysterious. I'll I'll get to the point. I'll I'll connect the dots here. But um, number one, I don't think we can talk about this too often. But number two, I think when markets are skittish like they've been this year, when markets are down, there's a greater tendency to want to do this. And what I'm talking about is timing the market. And what we mean by that is saying, look, it's bad right now. Can I get out of the market and I'll get back in when it's better? Trying to, trying to sell when it's high and buy when it's low as opposed to just riding it out and staying in the market. Because when it's bad, I mean, people don't – I've had clients tell me before – don't tell me to just write it out. I got to do something. Tell me something smart that I can do. And I'm like, that's the smartest thing I know that you can do is just to to ride this out. So we want to really dig a little deeper about timing the market. What does it mean? Why it probably doesn't make sense the vast majority of the time and what people should be doing instead. Are you getting questions? I I think a couple weeks ago, we both agreed. Neither one of us have gotten a lot of nervous clients asking, but I've had a couple since then. Yeah, of course, I've had a couple as well, but they seem to be the same ones, Bruce. So we went through the 08, 09, then we had the COVID crisis in the markets. Now we've got the, you know, combination of lots of things with inflation and the war, et cetera, et cetera. They seem to be the same few clients. I think the reason, though, that... um, you know, just timing the market versus time in the market. I, I, I just have to tell you, Bruce, for the, you know, 24, 25 years that this show has been on, um, the people who listen frequently probably know that there's a theme with Wealth Enhancement Group, and it is time in the market, but not just passive, passive, passive. Do nothing you know, make some strategic moves as we see trends, you know, that are coming, but they're not big moves. So when we talk about our clients, um, I just so appreciate how much they believe in not only the um, professional money manager management that we do, but then surrounding that with comprehensive planning. So today, though, I want to talk about this market timing and Bruce, I, I feel like, yes, we talk about this a lot, but I think right now it's so timely because people really do believe 
that they can actually time the market. I mean, even if they follow everything we say, there's a little itty bitty part of them that says, oh, I bet I could have timed this. I was feeling nervous anyway. Why didn't I pull the trigger? So it, it's, it's right now, um, I would say that the market is different in that we talk a lot, a lot about business cycles. And what we mean about what we mean by that is that businesses are either, you know, ramping up and, and really strong and consumers are spending and that's a business cycle where then all of a sudden the business cycle starts to go down. And we mentioned on this show that we've been literally up now with this business cycle, you know, for 13, 14 years. And now we're actually going through a business cycle where things are are changing. Before we had the COVID crisis and the uh, financial, you know, banking system crisis in 08, 09, I do believe this is different. So maybe because it is kind of different, people feel that they can predict again, Bruce, about this market timing. But are there really any signals out there that we're actually going in one direction or another. I mean, Bruce, you and I have been doing this for decades of time and I have never seen one. I've never, I mean, are there little trends that you start to see? But then what's interesting is it can change on a dime. And all of a sudden what you thought was going to happen, you know, takes a complete turn and, and hence why timing the market versus time in the market in my entire career. I have never, ever uh, witnessed somebody making a ton of money and always being right. Bruce? Yeah, I'll jump on a couple of the things that you said and, and, and expand a little bit. You know, I, I think what happens, Peg, um, and you're right, there's a, there's a different reason for every market retraction or a combination of reasons. And and the information is conflicting. I mean, one person could look at the data and say, here are reasons for optimism. I, I think it's going to do well, actually. And other people say, well, that's true, but you've got these, you know, these headwinds that are bad, and I think it's going to go down. So in the short term, that's why nobody knows for sure what will happen. But, but history tells us that long term, and we'll emphasize this throughout this hour, long term history tells us that stocks have always outpaced other asset classes. So there's every reason to believe that that trend will continue. Um, so again, stock market exposure is for your long-term money and really only your long-term money. Your short-term money shouldn't be there anyway. But when you, know, when you talk about people maybe thinking they can predict at this time, I, I, I haven't had clients that have told me that. Um, I've had a couple nervous ones, and you're right, they're the same ones. But I did have a lot of clients that were nervous in 2008, and none of us, you and I and other advisors and, and, and our listeners, nobody has forgotten 2008. And what was happening then for me, Peg, is I would sit in a, a review meeting with a client, and they would say, I know, time in the market, not timing the market, but gosh, every statement is smaller than the last statement. Can't we just get out for a while? And I would always say, well, look, it's your money. You can do whatever you want. But if you're asking my opinion, should you do that? My answer is no. And then they'd say, well, why not? Why can't we just get out for a while and get back in? And I would always say, well, when would you get back in? And they would say, 
when it's better. And I go, well, how do you know when it's better? How, how, how much up does the stock market have to go again before you'd feel comfortable and say, okay, now it's better. Now I will get in. Well, you know what? If you wait that long, you probably miss a lot of the uptick and you're sitting on the sidelines through most of the, of the market recovery. So what makes market timing so hard is not just being right once, but you have to be right twice. You have to get it right when you sell at or near the high, and then you have to get it right when you buy back in at or near the bottom. If you miss either one of those decisions, it probably was counterproductive as opposed to just staying in the market and riding it out. Yeah, and and actually um, Schwab, Charles Schwab, did a, a great study just recently in 2021 about the different um, characters, if you will, and I just want to quickly go through that because I think it's very impactful. Um, they called Peter perfect. He actually just went in every year at the market absolute low. Then there's Angie, Angie Action, who invested the first trading day of the year. Matthew Monthly divided that $2,000, let's just say it's 2000 and he and just did 12 equal pieces, you know, all year. Rosie Rotten... She actually timed 2000 each year, you know, at the height of the market. And Larry Linger actually didn't even invest at all. And when we looked at this, and, and, and this is a study by Charles Schwab, but I looked at this and it says between one year and just 20 years of time, it's interesting because four out of the five were very, very similar in um, compounded rate of return and money that they had over those time periods, one year and 20 years. You can guess, Bruce, which one didn't even compete. And that was Larry, right? He didn't even put any money in. But what was interesting about this study is that, you know, even with complete bad timing, uh, it, it trumps everything you could possibly do. Now, I'm a believer in if people have money, either immediately investing. Now, this is all long-term money. Bruce, I'm glad you brought that up. Long-term money. What that means is it's 10 or more years. Doesn't mean you can't live off the dividends, but it's a 10 or more year mindset, you know, invested in, the, in, in you know, probably uh, equities or stock. So, the four characters actually were very, very close in what they do. So I believe in immediately investing. And I also believe in dollar cost averaging. That's actually what, um, what Matthew Monthly did by just putting that $2,000 in over 12 months. Now, the dollar cost averaging is kind of a psyche thing with myself and my clients. I feel like they, you know, if they won't put it all in immediately – then let's put it in over the next six months or the next 12 months. At a minimum, I'm getting them to participate and put the money in. Bruce? Yeah, I, and I agree. And I have had some clients um, that, that that has kind of been their um, compromise position where they've had some money in, on the sidelines, more cash than they need. And I've said, I, I think, you know, you, you can and should probably invest some of that. And they're, and they're nervous, but, but some of the fear goes away if they dollar cost average in. And look, that's what we do. That's what most people listening to us right now, Peg, 
are doing with contributions to their 401k or whatever their company retirement plan is. Plan is they're putting money into the market, assuming they get paid twice a month, which is what most people do. So 24 times a year, they're making a contribution to the stock market. And the beauty, again, about the opportunity that I see about this retraction this year is all your contributions, your first you know dozen or so contributions this year, you've been buying in at a much lower share price than what it was at its peak, you know, last December, or early January, or whenever the high was again. So again, this long-term strategy of um, just being in the market, riding it out, and, and we're able to do that, Peg, and our clients are able to do it because we also carve out enough money in a safe position so that if they need money for lifestyle, and we, and we especially think of this as you get closer to or into retirement, if you need money for lifestyle, you've got enough cash that you can use that to live on so you don't have to sell stocks at a bad time. If the market's up, and you need money, absolutely. Take winnings off the table, lock in your gains, leave your cash alone. But uh, we, we, want, we want a cash position for the money that's not maybe long-term that we might need sooner. And again, I don't hear, I, I said we talk about this a lot on this show, and we do, but I don't hear other people, even other people, Peg, in our industry, in our space, I don't hear very many other people talking about this and occasionally at public speaking events, I'll get the question, how come no one else is talking about this? And I'm like, I can't speculate on what other people in our industry do. I just know that we're right because this works. We've seen, I've seen this work for 30-some years. So I, I know it works. This is not some study in a laboratory or with, with artificial numbers or uh, fi fictional numbers. I've seen this work. You've seen this work. 2008, you know, our clients were nervous. But they followed our advice. They wrote it out. They have way more money today than they did at the beginning of the correction in the fall of 2007. So it it it, it works. Beg. Yeah, it was very rewarding in 2008 um, when clients actually listened to our advice. I had a, <laughs> I, I had two or I, I mean I I was very rewarding because I I I mean I can tell you, uh, Bruce, I didn't know when we were going to recover from that, but I did have confidence that we will. So I just didn't know the timing. So the conviction that I gave to the clients at that time, it's, it, you know, I really appreciate that they uh, said thank you afterwards because that was dramatic. And the reason that they thanked us was because when you're out of the market, it can be so costly. And this is some of the math that I'm going over with my clients in their reviews. Simple math says if you lock in a 30% loss, you actually need 42.9% gain to return where you were before the downturn. So that math works against you. So that's something that I bring up so that clients know it's not 30 and 30. You know, you need to earn much more. And then once you sell... Um, these same people try to time when to get back in. And right. that's so risky as well. So, so the message there is, um, I think, Bruce, you hit it on the head, which is if you have a comprehensive plan, if you know what your buckets of money are going to do from you, 
for you. What your income is, how's your income situated for the next three to five years? That gives such a peace of mind for clients to literally stay with the comprehensive plan in good times and in bad. Bruce? Um, I'm so glad you brought up that locking in a loss. And then, you know, if you lock in a 30% loss, you got to make like 43% to make it up. I know some people are going, what? That doesn't make any sense. Let me put actual numbers to that. I'm so glad you did that. Um, So if I invest $100,000 and the market's down and I sell out when it's $70,000 because I'm nervous, when I invest back in, if I make 30% on $70,000, that only gets me to $91,000. I'm still $9,000 down. What Peg said is I got to make 43% to get back even. So selling at the wrong time and locking in a loss you know, I did have a client within the last two weeks uh, say to me, I lost X amount. And I said, you haven't lost anything. It's retracted by a certain percentage, but you haven't lost it unless you sell now. Let's not do that. Let's, let's wait and ride this thing out because history tells us it's, it's always come back. Hey, I want to do a couple of really quick things. The, the, the time always goes so fast when I'm really into the topic. I know Denny's going to give the number, you know, also, but Peg, I wanted to get listeners to jump in. If someone thinks they can time the market and they've done it successfully or are doing it now and disagree with us, they're, feel free to call in and, and make their point. Or if someone has tried it and, and it failed and they want to call in and say, yeah, you're right, I don't want to ever do that again. Again, our, our studio line is 651-461-9226. In the second half of the show, Listeners involved a lot and or questions, 651-461-9226. But the other thing I want to go back to quickly, you talked about people sometimes come up and they think they have a formula or this time they know how to time it. Sometimes it's financial media and sometimes there's people out there that want you to enroll in their system. If you, if you, if you pay us money, we will teach you how to make money in the market regardless of what the markets are doing. And my thought always is, well, if you can do that, then, then why would you give away that, that information and, you know, and sell it to me? Why wouldn't you just use that and keep making money in the market? And the reality is those people make their money from chumps like me paying them to teach me how to do it, and they don't know how to do it. If they did, they wouldn't be trying to sell it to you. But talk, you know, so much of the media and so much of this, they play on people's fears. So when the market goes down, that fear level rises, that emotion rises. And we all know we make probably make not as good of decisions when we're emotional as opposed to when we're calm and pragmatic. Peg? Yeah, and quite frankly, it's fear and greed, right? So we we like our clients to to, um, buy in, if you will, to asset allocation. And everybody listening now might go, God, that's boring, you know. But it is a sensible approach to just being invested in the market. So, you know, one thing is, is, is with asset allocation, you know, you, you have a balance of U.S. and non-U.S. stocks. You've got different types of bonds. You've got corporate bonds. You've got municipal bonds. You've got treasury bonds. And you put a tailored combination uh, for each client. That's what we do. You're all unique. And yes, we we have portfolios that we manage for all clients, but um, we are able to tailor picking which um, asset allocation and which managed accounts by our 
uh, investment team that we want to create into your money matrix or into your boxes or into your file cabinets. So what we're looking for is that diversification. And then, you know, we don't make huge moves. We're not going to take you out of the market. We're not going to, you know, completely get rid of U.S. stocks at some time. But we might adapt and lessen a position or gain a position in what we see as coming, maybe a trend or two. And then that takes away a thousand percent your emotion on your money, Bruce. Well, and then and we're almost out of time. I know, Danny, and rebalancing, getting it back to the appropriate asset allocation. So it's not just buy and hold; it's buy and harvest, and it's make little moves, not big moves, trying to outthink the market. Uh, Danny, I know we need to take a break, and then the, yep. the second half, Peg and I will kind of wrap up, and we'll let listeners drive the show part of the time. Very good, Bruce. And uh, as Bruce mentioned, that phone number, you can call or text our studio line right now and get involved and get those financial questions answered. 651-461-9226. That number is good for both a phone call or a text question. 651-461-9226. We'll take this break. Be back on the other side with more of your money. Stay with us. If you have a financial question for either Peg or Bruce, you can call this number. Keep in mind, 24-7, that's 1-888-6-ADVICE. You can also email those questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. During the show and right now, you can call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Danny Long. And also, listeners, uh, in addition to questions, if you've had a good experience or a bad experience trying to time the market, call in and share it with us or discuss it with us. We want to hear from you. Again, 651-461-9226. Or again, more and more, I think, Peg, people are going to the, uh, and we do this too, even in in our our meetings, uh, less face-to-face, or in this case, less phone, more text. Uh, communication is easier, and I, I don't know. So texts are fine, but if you if you if you want to get on the line and be on the radio and talk to us, uh, we'd certainly take calls. Also, if you joined us late, Peg and I today talked about uh, timing the market, why it doesn't work, why it's not recommended, why it's harder to you know intellectually say I know that, but it's harder to do, to do that when markets are down like they are this year. So we talked a little bit about, um, you know, why it doesn't work, why it's a bad idea. We gave some examples, though, that even if you time the market badly, being in the market long term has historically proven to be better than not being in the market. Long term, stocks historically have always rewarded investments or investors, even if you uh, didn't do it at exactly the right time. And Peg uh, talked at length about uh, the, the study that Schwab did. And uh, I'll just put, you know, a a real life note to that uh, study. If you think back to your own experience, back to the big crash that most of us remember that started in the fall of 2007 and ended in the spring of 2009, if you got into the market in October of 07 for the first time, at the worst possible time, right before an 18-month 60% retraction, the Dow when you got in was roughly 14,000. And today it's at 31,000. So even if the worst possible time, 
your annualized return on investment over those years is still pretty good. So we know long-term, historically, stocks have rewarded investors. Timing the market does not work because you have to be right twice. You have to be right on when you sell, and you have to be right on when you buy back in. And history has proven that almost nobody is able to do that, at least not consistently um, with any regularity. Um, we talked about we do make some changes. We rebalance. We make market manipulations. But it's not all in and it's not all out. And we believe in efficient asset allocation or diversity. And your long-term money stays in the market, stays long. But you have to carve out some safe money. And if you have that safe money, you don't have to worry about the market. Peg, what we didn't say, and I'll throw it back to you to, to kind of give people key takeaways. I'm just kind of summing up what we already did. But what we didn't say in the first half is that, you know, um, this this idea of uh, short-term, mid-term, and long-term money, and we and I did say we know it works because we've we've actually seen it work. But this idea of how much cash should somebody have that changes. Talk a little bit about you know somebody that's maybe in their 40s and we say have enough cash for six months of living expenses versus somebody in their 60s and having enough cash um, to maintain lifestyle for when they retire. So the amount of cash changes, uh, just like we always talk about people being snowflakes, everybody's situation is different. And some of it is just based on age and time horizon on how we would advise those individuals. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. You know, long ago, uh, 20 plus years ago, we created this year money matrix. And all it is, I mean, it, it seems very simple on the surface. It has three columns, our three, you know, file cabinets, or, uh, and, and we just divide the money or replace the asset, how it's taxed. So if it's taxed, you get a 1099 at the end of the year. If it's tax deferred, like your 401k or your IRAs have a big IOU to the IRS, that's the second column. Tax advantaged is municipal bonds, life insurance, cash value, Roth IRAs. That goes in the third column. But probably equally as important is on the left side, we, we have boxes that say it's short-term, medium-term money, or long-term money. And short term would be anywhere from, you know, zero to maybe five years. Medium term is five to 10, 12 years. You get the drift. Or long term is usually stocks or stock oriented things or some illiquid in, investments that people have bought. And that is long term money, meaning we're not going to utilize that anytime soon. Well, every single client has one of these matrices. And the reason it's so important to us is by the time we put all the assets in the different boxes, we then know how diversified the client is by tax and tax still owned. And then we also know, you know, how much uh, short-term, medium-term or long-term money uh, they need. And this is big because if you are retired, soon to be retired, and even if you're a 40-year-old, Bruce, and you have some big plans like buying a boat or, or buying a new house in the near future or paying for college or all those things, you know, then we have to build up some short-term money 
for those one-off expenses is what we call them. And I, I'm, I've, been, I've been so thankful that last year, uh, 2021, it was as crazy good as it was in the stock market. Because what it did is in the reviews that we did, we, um, knowing that the market was high, you know, when we're spending that money in the short-term bucket, we have to replace it. It's not like it's going to last forever. So uh, what we do is, you know, maybe if you're taking your RMD or you've got some money in the stock market that has done so well, you know, we sold off a lot of the stock market last year and then we replaced that short-term bucket. It was kind of an easy decision because the run-up had, has just been year over year over year. So if there was ever a time to rebalance is what we talked about today, that would be the time. And then and within that rebalancing, we actually uh, added to that short bucket. And all clients are different. You know, it might be a one-year cash flow need. It might be a five-year cash flow need. Um, but all of these comprehensive plans are tailored to the individual client. So I think that fits well here in that when we talk about time in the markets beats timing in the markets, um, especially over long term, I am not insensitive to the times that have still very clear in my brain. And that is that 0809, that financial crisis where the banks seem to be, you know, very shaky. And, and, and to me, that was just huge. And so imagine, I just want everybody listening to put yourself in our shoes. So you got a client who wants to sell it all. And by the way, Usually people don't want to say, let's just sell this one bucket of money. They want to get out. I mean, most people that call are all or nothing. And, and we work hard to get them to stay in. And it takes a lot for me to give up, right? I mean, for the, just to say, because it, technically it is their money. It's the client's money. So all I can do is try to give different pros and cons to making this decision. And ultimately it's their decision. And those are the couple of people that I still have so clear in my mind. And I kind of, I kick myself like, why didn't I even try harder? Well, you know, you, you just can't. And so one of the things that I want as a conclusion here, everybody out there should be making regular investment contributions at steady intervals. And Bruce, you hit it on the head. You know, most people, and including ourselves, we're putting money into our work plans. And at this juncture, you know, a lot of you are putting in over all 12 months and that it will probably work out because the market has been volatile. And then also, if you don't have money, you know, that you're investing yet, you know, you should know what your buckets are and if they're in alignment. And if we do go through a, a continued downturn here, do you have enough cash? So you should be talking to your financial advisor about that. I'm not a proponent of just sitting around and being a passive investor. You know, markets change, assets change. Um, um, you know, how do you guard against portfolio drift? To me, that takes active management. That takes somebody overlooking um, your portfolio. And then lastly, uh, of course, I'm going to say this, but if, if to save, you know, you from yourself, and this is what I say, because people, when it's just, it's your money, it's very, very much an emotional asset that you have. And not only for yourself, but you're actually maybe guiding it for your entire family. Uh, 
you know, so thinking about maybe getting somebody to help and making sure you have a comprehensive financial plan so that and you know you have enough short money if you go through a downturn, all of that our clients know because that is who we are and that's how that's kind of our recipe for how do people live their lives and not worry and not spend precious moments that we have, you know, worrying about their money. It it, it just it, it's comprehensive planning, Bruce. Yeah, that that's great. I was smiling year to year as you were do it as you were talking about those things. And the thought that came into my head, and I know I say this a lot, you know, we have a basic outline every 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 show and we're gonna, you know, try to cover the things on the outline, but you never know what's gonna pop into your head. So what popped into my head, I was I was actually testing myself and I was thinking how many times have I had clients not follow my advice and say, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I got to get out. I can't sleep at night. And so they, they don't listen to me. And then how many times have those clients come back and said, okay, you were right. I should have listened to you. And I've probably had Peg, you know, that happen over the years, I don't know, 10, 12 times. And then I was thinking, has anyone ever said, I listened to you and, it, it turned out horrible. I should have never listened. I've never had that happen because, again, long term, even though it's boring, even though it's not what they want to hear when they're nervous, taking a deep breath, writing it out, staying the course has always worked. It's, it's never blown up in our faces. And I was just that's what I was thinking about as you were going through that. And again, I love how you emphasize it. It becomes easier to do this, I think, when it's a subset of comprehensive financial planning or or to give a specific example a couple times in recent weeks i've had clients not not challenging me and saying you know maybe i should get out of the market but saying okay our forecasting that we did is this going to be disruptive to my retirement or people that were going to retire can i still retire or do i have to delay and my answer is well the forecasting we did assumed an aggregate rate of return on your money of some predetermined number, 5% or 6% or whatever we use. And if you've been in the market in recent years, this retraction doesn't mean the plan is no longer going to be valid or accurate because we've been way ahead of the projections. This six-month retraction doesn't mean you lost money. You just didn't make or you haven't made now quite as much as where you were at your high. You're still ahead of the assumption that we made in the forecast, but we've done that planning. And when people know that, again, they don't worry so much or they don't say, gosh, I got to get out of the market. Or I got to do this. They don't panic because the, I always tell people um, our projections are linear. Life is not. So the linear assumption of 6% every year, we may never have a year of 6%, but we've been averaging actually much higher than that for many years. So we can have a year where it's lower and we're still ahead of pace. We're still averaging higher than the linear assumption that we made. Um, anyway, we probably beat this uh, up pretty good. Denny, let's, uh, let's let listeners take us the rest of the way. And you can always call during the show, 651-461-9226. That number is uh, good for either a phone call or your text question, 651-461-9226. Uh, here's one that says, I'm a federal retiree which, like Social Security, has an earned income limit of about $20,000. 
Income thereafter reduces my retirement. I am working at a side gig that could exceed that amount. Is there a retirement account or technique to reduce or delay income to keep my earned income below 20000 Uh The employer does not offer any retirement account options. Love your show and listen every week. So thanks, Danny. Peg, I think um, that's that's a pretty complicated question. I think that sounds like, is it FERS? Is that the acronym? Federal Employee Retirement something? I think like I think of postal employees. So, um, you know, the question is, I was I was a federal employee and now I got a side gig. How do I how do I I don't know. How do I reduce taxes? Any, any thoughts, any ideas? You don't want to go down that road? Well, the only thing I thought of is is if if we're getting at, you know, reducing income, you know, so if you're reducing income, but you got a side gig and you're making money, you can still open an individual retirement account, an IRA. Uh, and so you could put if you're over, you know, 50 years old, you can put in seven thousand dollars a year. So that's something. Or if you have a side gig and you want to. Uh, deduct more than that, then you could open up like a simple IRA or a um, self-employed, you know, plan, something like that. So there are ways that you can maybe push out that income uh, until you're trying to get to a bogey year, or you could push out that income until you turn, you know, required minimum distribution age, which is at 72. Bruce? The only, yeah, and that's really good. The only other thing I thought of, um, and this can get way more complicated than we're able to re- re- respond to, and I've had clients that have been in this situation, and again, I, I can't remember what the acronym, but it's it's FERS, Federal Employee Retirement something. Um, so I've had clients in this situation, and, and you're right, Peg, it, it all gets back to reducing taxable income. The only other thing I thought of, and this actually, a client I'm thinking of that was in this situation, they're, they're, they're charitable. They, they, they tithe to their church every year, but they were not, um, what they tithe every year was not enough for them to exceed their standard deduction. So they weren't deducting any of their charitable giving. We, we accelerated their charitable giving and said, what if you put, you know, I, I don't remember what it was, five years all at once in one year. So you have enough charitable giving in one year to be able to deduct that as opposed to the standard deduction. And so we created a donor advised fund. They put it all in the donor advised fund and then the donor advised fund can distribute to the, the, the church or whatever charity they want to. So that's, that's another strategy. So yeah, there are things you can do. And I'm glad you brought up multiple retirement plans also Peg, because everybody thinks of individual retirement account. But again, based on your employment situation, there might be other plans that are applicable to you where the amount you can put away on a pre-tax basis is higher than just a regular individual retirement account. So again, it pays to sit with a professional and see what plans are available, what your options are, and if any of those might make more sense for you. But So that's a, that's a great question, and I know we're only scratching the surface on the possibilities. They probably really need to sit down with somebody face-to-face. Here's a, another one about uh, timing the market isn't it a fact, the texture says, that each time you pull out of the market, you are subject to capital gains taxes? That's also a great question. So, Peg, when we talk about rebalancing and we talk about, you know, when, when to sell, when not to sell, um, 
what often goes un, unconsidered, although this texture is considering it, is, the, is there a tax consequence to all the stuff that we're doing? And, of course, it depends if it's a qualified account like an IRA or a non-qualified account. So talk about the taxation. Yeah, so in a non-IRA account, uh, the texture is absolutely right. So if you're going to make moves within your portfolio, so let's say we own 25% U.S. large cap, 25% small cap, 25% international, and 25% emerging markets. No, we don't. I'm just being really, really simple here. But if all of a sudden uh, the advisor or the investment management company says, let's get rid of that 25% emerging markets, and you've held it for years, and you have $10,000 profit in there, if they go sell all that and put that into U.S. large, then that will be a taxable event. Um, so yes, uh, when, the, when you make moves like that, um, I have found over my decades of time that following the advice of, of course, it's Wealth Enhancement Group um, investment team that I follow, meaning it has paid off for the client to, to pay some taxes along the way. Because what are you doing? You're actually just um, building these tax, you know, this um, capital gains over multiple years, and then you're really just hand-tied. You, you can't do anything with the portfolio unless you have a huge um, capital gain. So, I'm in favor of of allowing uh, or making these, uh, you know, rebalancing or um, asset class moves and just paying the tax, depending on what tax bracket you're in. Bruce. Yeah, and this is probably the, the last word of the day. We're getting close to the end of our time again, but um, and, and our investment management team will treat it differently if it's an IRA or not. So in a non-IRA, there might be times where they would say. We're not going to rebalance right now. The benefit isn't worth it based on the tax consequences, but in an IRA, they might rebalance. So I always tell my clients, Peg, we try to be tax efficient and tax effective, but you don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog. You consider both, but at the end of the day, what we think is going to happen with the investment is probably going to be the, the thing we consider the most. Um, Denny, I think uh, if my, my watch is correct, we're about there. We are just about there. Thank you both, uh, Bruce and Peg. Uh, if you have a financial question midweek, don't forget you can call 888-6-ADVICE. You can always email those questions at yourmoneywealthenhancement.com. We do hope you join us again next week with more of Your Money.